Thank you, Michael. Um, as we start today, I want you to know from the outset that I really am no prayer hero. Now, there are, there are prayer heroes, and George Muller would be one of them. If you've ever heard of them, who's heard of George Muller? Yeah, it's quite a famous, quite a famous guy. Um, he ran orphanages in Bristol, um, entirely dependent on regular answers to prayer for hundreds and hundreds of children. So there are stories like one morning... He prays with the children, thanks God for the food they're about to meet, but there is nothing in the cupboard, nothing on the table, no food left in the orphanage at all. Still he prays, gives thanks for the food, finishes his prayer, and here's what's recorded after that. Upon finishing his prayer, there's a knock at the door, and the baker is standing on the other side. And it seems the baker had a dream in the night before where God told him, give the orphan house a bunch of bread. So the baker's there to deliver enough bread to last a whole week. But not only that, um, further the milk truck had actually just broken down in front of the orphanage, and the milkman was forced to give his entire supply of milk away so it wouldn't spoil before he could get his truck fixed. Now, now get this, this guy Muller, he prayed for five specific people he wanted to come to know Jesus every day for 53 years. Every day for 53 years. Now, by his death, three of them had come to faith. You might think that's a pretty good betting average. I'd be happy with that. Downer? No. After he died, within the next two years, the remaining two also came to faith. So all this to say, there really are prayer heroes in the world, but I am not one of them. And neither, I expect, were many of those in the crowd listening to Jesus. We've been working through his famous teaching called the Sermon on the Mount, where he's setting out the plan for his kingdom of transformed hearts for his disciples. And um, maybe the people sat in front of him had some solid religious structure. They probably came from a Jewish background. So they probably had some sort of pattern of prayer, common to pray three times daily. They might even have memorized some words to use in their prayer, like the, the Shema was a prayer they would say often. But how many of them, do you think, had a perfect record? And was that really what it would look like to be a prayer hero? Now, this morning, Jesus is going to challenge us to pray. Uh, he's going to challenge us to pray better as uh, we continue our journey through Matthew's gospel, through his biography of Jesus. Now, prayer is one of those things where it is super easy to get started. Earlier in our gathering, Michael introduced it. It's talking to God. It's simply talking to God is a phrase we'll commonly use. And that is right. That's true. That's what prayer is. But like so many things in the Christian life, there's this kind of entry level, simple to get a basic grasp of thing, but has so much depth once you begin to think about it, once you begin to dig in. Now, I doubt many of us feel like we've mastered prayer. I don't know if anyone has, but uh, I'll be looking to meet up with you later to learn from you if you have. Um, I know it's something I struggle with. I know it's something that lots of people struggle with. Most of us would give ourselves a grade in the kind of room for improvement area on how we're doing with prayer. So I hope this morning is what Jesus has to say to us will be some help. So we're going to listen to him together. And Dustin is going to read for us this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 6. And we're starting at verse 5, and that's page 970. If you've got one of our blue Bibles, page 970, Matthew 6, starting at verse 5. I didn't mean to take it away. I was going to give it back. Matthew 6, beginning with verse 5. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, 
will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Thanks, Dustin. Let's pray. Father God, help us to listen to Jesus' teaching on prayer, to understand it now, and to apply it to our lives. Amen. So last week, Ed was pointing out the overarching theme of the whole section that we're working through just now of Jesus' teaching is this, is be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. And then Jesus applies that teaching to three different acts of religious devotion, to alms, that is giving to the needy or the poor, to prayer, and then to fasting. We'll get on to a bit later. Ed helped us to see that authentic Christian generosity is for an audience of one, is the phrase we're using, an audience of one, that is God, for God's reward alone. Now today we're going to hear that same message again, just applied to a different topic, We're going to hear that prayer, Christian devotion, prayer is for an audience of one. It's for God, and it's for his reward alone. Now, that's simple enough. We're just going to finish early. Yeah, no, no chance. We're going to retrace Jesus' argument first, just in case you weren't here last week. And then we're going to think a bit on how we actually go about applying that. But if you were listening carefully during the reading, you'll have noticed that Jesus has a bit more to say about prayer than he does about alms or about fasting. So we're also going to look at a little bit more of the content he has for us on there, a bit more of his teaching. Um, Today is going to be all about then how to pray and primarily how not to pray is one of Jesus's big points. So, So how are we to pray? First, we've got the echo, what we were just talking about last week. We're to pray for God, not to pray for others. We're to pray for an audience of one rather than um, for the attention and applause of others around us. Now, as you start into this section, you might be forgiven that the way Jesus is talking about prayer, the, 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 the rightness of prayer, the best practice for prayer is really a question of location, location, location. That, that's the big issue that's in the center of Jesus' teaching here. Sounds like Jesus is really primarily concerned about where you pray. If you get the right spot, you're sorted. You get the wrong spot, you're sunk. Bad praying, he says. Well, that's in the middle of a religious assembly. Oops. Um, or, or, or bad praying is on a street at a busy crossroads, because that's what that phrase street corners means. Street corners, the street there is particularly a big or a wide or a main street, and a corner isn't just kind of where the street goes around a bend. It's where two of these main streets meet. So if you imagine an ancient Near Eastern village, this is the crossroads at the center of the village. This is somebody going straight to the crossroads where everybody is and busy praying there, where everyone can see you, right? So it's about location, and good praying is somewhere where nobody can see, right? Most of the ancient Near Eastern houses wouldn't have much in the way of rooms. Most they've got like a sleeping area where you sleep. And if you're really rich, you might have some sort of division between that and the living area where you live. And both these bits have holes in the walls called windows, but they're just holes in the walls. Now, the room Jesus is talking about would typically be the only place with a door in most people's homes, the storeroom, the the treasure room. So, okay... A lot of chat about location, not in a religious assembly, not on the crossroads, but instead inside the storeroom. Is it just location? 
Here's the thing. If Jesus is giving us directions on location, he's pretty bad at following them himself, right? He is never recorded as actually going into one of those inner rooms and praying. Uh, He seems to be a bit more of an outdoor guy when it comes to prayer. Lonely mountains, nighttime gardens would be the sort of places Jesus is often praying. So we want to be naive with Jesus' teaching. It's not secrecy or a specific location. Um, I guess secrecy as well. Think about this, okay? Jesus isn't saying the only good prayer is a secret prayer because he is just about, next week we're going to read it, he's just about to teach us to pray Our Father, which is a communal prayer. It's written in plural language to be prayed by a group. And when it comes to praying in public, at the Last Supper, if you read what, the, what they happened, Jesus prays repeatedly at the Last Supper. In fact, John chapter 17, an entire chapter of the Bible, is Jesus praying in public in front of his disciples. And those disciples seem to go on to do plenty more praying in public together. There are a number of prayer meetings recorded in rooms, on beaches, on boats, all sorts of places. So Jesus isn't just saying, all that stuff's rubbish, secret's the only stuff that count. Prayer done right is prayer done in secret. That would be a really silly way of understanding he's saying. So if location isn't the point, it's not about that particular inner room. If secrecy isn't the point, it's only when you're away from other people. What is the point? Well, target audience is Jesus' point. Just like last week, when when our prayers become performances, when uh, they're really for an earthly audience rather than a heavenly audience, that's when you've got a prayer problem. You can pray perfectly well for a heavenly audience of one in public, even in front of a church. You can do that. You can even pray at the crossroads if you have to. Right, location's not the point, secrecy's not the point, target audience is the point. But as I was thinking about this during the week, here's what I was wondering. I was wondering how many of us would really have that sort of hypocrite problem as Jesus frames it, right? Praying as a performance, acting out prayer, acting like somebody who prays, just pretending to be somebody who prays. There aren't that many of us who get an opportunity to pray publicly in church, at least not in our big gatherings. We're really thankful for the team that lead us week by week, and uh, we'd love more people to join that too. HopeCityEdinburgh.org slash serve. If you'd like to join that, we'd love it. We think that is a good thing to do, not a bad thing to do, okay? Um, So does that mean that there couldn't be many of us really who suffer with this sort of performance prayer because there's not that much public prayer going on? Well, If you're part of a small group or a very small group that prays together, if you join our prayer meetup on Mondays, if you've ever used Joe, our director for Becomes, idea of saying, let's pray now, when somebody raises something of concern and praying for them now, if you simply talk to others about your prayer life, then you've had this opportunity for it to become a performance for the audience around you rather than prayers to the one above. Now, the truth is, Every Christian's heart is still divided. Even as Jesus begins to transform our hearts, the old one is still there, mixed up with it. Every act we do is a mix of rightness and and wrongness because it comes from us, a mixed people. So if you don't think praying for an audience around you rather than praying for the audience above you is an issue, you are probably missing something about just how broken you are and how twisted and messed up our hearts are as people, even as our Savior continues his work on mending us. So what do we do? Well, here's the first thing I'd say is we've got to keep on trying. 
See, one way you could respond to Jesus' challenge here would be like, I'm so suspect that my prayer is for other people. I'm so worried that my prayers are a performance, that they're just designed to impress people, that I'm just not going to pray anymore at all. Then I can't get it wrong, right? I can't get it wrong if I don't pray. But thankfully for the avoidance of doubt, that is absolutely not the response Jesus is looking for, right? Verse 6, look at verse 6. But when you pray, when it's, a, it's a presupposition that you're going to pray. Jesus isn't saying, don't pray like that. He's also saying just as strongly, don't pray like that. Do pray like this. Do pray like this. So maybe now is a good moment to ask the question, well, do you pray? Do you pray often? Do you pray as much as God wants you to do? Or perhaps do your own questions about why you're praying kind of hold you back? Do you suspect yourself? Does that trip you up? If that's you today, I'd encourage you to pray more, not less. Even if you're not getting it right, Jesus doesn't give you the latitude just to give up. I was thinking here as well about telling people that I'm praying for them. Like sometimes I'll tell people I'm praying for you, and they better do it once I've told them, right? So get on it. Um, but telling people that I'm praying for them, or if you used our prayer tool and you click, I prayed, you just told somebody you prayed. I was thinking, is, is this a problem? Should I quit that? As it's just one more opportunity to get kind of puffed up about what a prayer warrior I am. Look at me and all the buttons I clicked. You know, um, I don't think so because Jesus's earliest followers in the letters preserved for us in the Bible often write about how they're praying for one another. They often tell one another they're praying. And having been on the receiving end of this, when people tell me they are praying for me, I tell you, I'm encouraged. I take heart because I believe that God might work through that. That is significant to know others are praying. I think an ultra-secret approach to prayer takes that away. And it'd be a bit like treating the symptom rather than treating the root cause, right? Secrecy or doing it in public is really just a symptom rather than the root cause. The root cause is not that our prayers are known to others. It's, the, it's that our hearts long for the approval of others, long for the applause of others. Don't you want to be a good Christian so everyone looks at you and goes, what a good Christian. Wow, I wish I was as cool as them. I would all feel that urge. Here's a good diagnostic, I think, perhaps, we might be able to use here to get a sense of where the balance lies, where my eyes, where your eyes are principally focused as we pray. Could we ask the question, would I still pray if nobody knew? Would I still pray if nobody saw? Or would I not bother? Now, if we find that I would still pray even if I didn't tell someone, I would still pray if I didn't see, then there is at least a part of us that is praying for God's eyes, right? So there's an encouragement to keep at it. One more thought for you here, okay? So we're talking about hypocrisy. This is the big problem Jesus has got in view, just acting, just giving a performance. Well, that cuts both ways. You can be a hypocrite by praying, absolutely. But just as much, you can be a hypocrite by not praying, and by not praying as often as you should about as many things as you should in as many places as you should. Do you tell others, what a friend I have in Jesus? Take it to the Lord in prayer, and then you don't take anything to your friend or talk to him all week. Well, that feels pretty hypocritical. Do you tell people, you can have a real relationship with God through his son, Jesus, and then deny that relationship by never hanging out with God? The, the absence of prayer, see, can be just as hypocritical as praying. It's like a totally a double-edged sword thing. 
So two application points. Firstly, would you still pray if nobody saw, if nobody knew? Secondly, the absence of prayer is just as hypocritical as praying for other people. Now, while we're in this wider section on hypocrisy, in alms, prayer, and fasting, right? They've got these three to come. We should notice Jesus singles out prayer for special attention. He's got more to teach us on how to pray and how not to pray. There's more to it than just avoiding hypocrisy. So look with me at verse 7, Matthew 6, 7, and we get to item 2 on Jesus' list of how not to pray. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't keep on babbling. Don't multiply words. That is not how to pray. That will not get you heard. Now, I have to be honest. When I read that bit and started thinking about it, I was like, phew, thank goodness, right? This is a bit of a relief to me as someone who's not very good at praying. Jesus gives us something liberating. The power of your prayer is not proportional to its length. Like I sketched this little chart, okay? This is my basic prayer theory, my basic prayer theology. The longer the prayer, the more powerful the prayer. Do you feel like that? Like if I haven't prayed a really long time about something, I haven't really prayed about it, and I'm gonna do a, a better job, you know? Uh, if I can make it to 12 minutes, and it's a minor thing I need, 12's a good biblical number, bang, you're down. If it's a big thing, 144 minutes, or even 1,000 if you're getting carried away. But you, you know, like... Got to be a yes, right? That, this is how we think about prayer quite often. Or, or you make that chart about eloquence, uh, eloquence or vocabulary, right? It's easy to think that if your prayer rolls off your tongue in perfect iambic pentameter, God's going to be like, that one's a keeper. Putting that in my book of like ace prayers. Totally going to have that. Or, or if, you know, you have to look up the words while somebody else is praying, you're like, whoa. And God is like, dude, that person's got vocabulary. Yeah. You know? Like, but that, that is just not getting us to the heart of prayer. When we think like that, when that's our theory, our theology of prayer, when we think that's how it functions, we are totally wrong. Jesus says, it is not many words that gets us heard. Or it's not fancy words that gets us heard. He's going to teach us the Lord's Prayer, the so-called Lord's Prayer in a minute. We'll put it on the wall over there in case you didn't know it. Um, it's super simple. The language in the Lord's Prayer is not highfalutin, fancy stuff. Now, it's not to say you can never use fancy language or you can never pray long, but if you think that's what makes it powerful, that's what makes it effective, well, Jesus is not on that team. The key thing Jesus wants to know about prayer, wants us to know about prayer, is what he says next. Don't be like them. Your father already knows what you need. Your father already knows what you need. Now, prayer is not informing God of something he's otherwise unaware of. That's kind of obvious, isn't it? And yet I often treat it like that. It's not bringing to God's attention something he might otherwise be too busy for and overlook. It's definitely how I would treat it. But it's not very godlike if you can't keep track of everything that's going on at once, if you can't manage to pay attention to everything. One of, the, one of the glories of our God is that he knows everything that's going on in his entire universe. He's able to pay detailed attention to everyone in his entire universe, despite the vastness. But here's the thing. We are still actually meant to talk to God about our needs. Jesus is just about to teach us the Lord's Prayer. He's just about to ask us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now, if you want to think about a need that is like blindingly obvious and basic, daily provision, daily food is one of those things. Do you think God's like, oh, 
You need bread every day? I totally hadn't thought of that. Or, or he's just kind of forgotten about you in the corner and no bread for you because he's busy in some other corner of his universe. So he's teaching us to pray about our needs, but he already knows them. Here's the big question, right? If God already knows, well, why pray? Well, what, is the, what is the point in that? Why does he want us to pray? Why does he teach us to pray? Why does he teach us to speak to him about our needs right after telling us he knows what we need before we ask? Stingy dad? We have to persuade him we're worth it? No, the Bible teaches he is generous and loving. The Bible teaches us he gave his own son for us. How with that will he not also give us every good thing? So if God already knows, why pray? I got to tell you, this is a perplexing question. This is definitely one I have wondered about a lot. I want to give you three big answers from a study this week. I didn't make these up. I'm not that clever. I borrowed other people's work. Their homework was really good, and uh, I'm going to hand it in to you now. So um, three answers for why pray, and here's your first answer for connection. One of the commentators I read wrote this. We, we don't need to inform the Lord. We don't need to convince the Lord. We just need to connect with the Lord. Our Father knows what we need before we ask, but what we don't always grasp is just how much one of the things we need is connection with God. That's a strong way of thinking about what prayer actually is, connection with the Lord, a relational connection with God, live together with God in a particular moment of our life. My wife is my wife, whether we're together in the room or not, whether we're chatting or not. There's something fundamentally different about the moment she walks into the room with me or picks up my call and we're connected together, right? There's something fundamentally different about that. We're connected. Prayer is the experience of that relational connection with God. It's not about informing him about his universe like he didn't know. It's, it's connection. Wayne Grudem, another big brain thinker, says prayer is personal communication with God. Yes, God is always there. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He promises to us. Theological language, we might say he's omnipresent. He is present in all places at all times, always. But try picturing the moment you begin to pray as the moment God picks up the phone. Can you imagine that? You're together. You're connected in conversation. The first word in your prayer is, hello, God. And you're there. You're together. So why pray first? Connection. Second reason we pray, dependency. So when we pray, it's an expression of our dependency in God. And conversely, when we don't pray, it's an expression of our independency from God. Yeah, he already knows our needs, but when we pray to him about them as he's instructed us to, we recognize, we express the fact, we express the truth that we are utterly dependent on God. We're utterly dependent on him to meet our needs. And particularly, we're dependent on God to meet our needs, even though we might think we've got this under control. I've got resources of my own. I've got skills of my own, strengths of my own, things I can do. Well, when we pray, it chips away at that independency, that idea that I could, I could take a good shot at this life all by myself, thanks. Every time we pray about something, we're expressing the truth. We don't have it under control. We can't manage it on our own. He is God and we are not. The reverse holds. When I don't feel the need to pray about something, I'm saying to God, 
don't worry, I've got this, right? And the echo, the response that comes out of our hearts often is, so I don't need you. I got this, I don't, I don't need you. Or worse still, I've got this, you haven't got this. I've got this, you haven't got this. I'm not praying about this because there's no point. God's not in control of that. He doesn't have the power to work on that. And in that case, I'm not dependent on God, right? I'm still independent, just at the mercy of a universe that's out of his control as well. So why pray? Connection, picking up the phone. Why pray? Dependency, it expresses and chips away our independency. Last one, prayer changes things. Prayer actually changes things. Now, let me be honest. Sometimes I don't want to pray because I think, what is the point? It is not going to change anything. What's the point in talking to God about it? He already knows. He's already made up his mind about what's going to happen, and he's not going to do anything different just because I chat to him. His plan is working itself out, and sometimes his plan is just going to suck for me. Like that, that is how I think. I think being honest more often than I'd like. That's me with prayer. Que sera, sera. Whatever it is going to be, is going to be anyway. I could pray about it or not, but whatever, God's going to just work out his magisterial plan for the universe no matter what. Now, it's certainly true. God's design is often very different from what we would like. Radically different. It's certainly true we're not going to get the answer that we hope for every day. It's absolutely not the case even that prayer done right always changes things. That every answer is a yes, right? Even Jesus doesn't get a yes to every prayer. In the garden, he prays, take this cup from me. No. Even Paul doesn't get a yes to every prayer. Three times he prayed for the Lord for relief from his thorn in the flesh, he called it, only to get the answer, no. What I'm challenging myself to do is not to presume or assume that no, and I'm challenging you as well, because prayer sometimes changes things. In just a few weeks, this same Jesus, in this same sermon, is gonna get to this section. He's gonna say, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. And that word ask there, you might notice that showed up in today's passage. He knows what you need before you even ask. Same word. This is Jesus talking about prayer that will be answered. Now, sometimes we don't get our answer simply because we refuse to ask. James chapter 4, verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask God. Could that ever have been true in your life? Something you wished was different? something you never bothered asking God about, and you don't have because you don't ask God. Could that be true? Possibly. Because in God's wisdom, he has specifically chosen to sometimes work through our prayers. I want to give you a key example where you can see that prayer changes things. As I was thinking about this this week, it was a bit of an aha for me. I'd never really thought about this before. Forgiveness. God is not unaware that you and I need forgiveness. He has no question about that. He's very clear on that fact. Now, he is not unable or unwilling to forgive you and I through what Jesus has done, his Christ's sacrificial death in our place. But God has chosen to make prayer the channel for that forgiveness, to make prayer even, we might say, the condition for releasing it. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, 
and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, confession there is absolutely a form of prayer. It is communicating with God, talking with God, right? There's a prayer that does something. There's a prayer that makes a difference. God specifically promises to respond to prayers of confession with grace on condition of repentance. This is from the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear and I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. Prayer changes things. God promises prayer will change things. Now, this is just one example, right? This is not the only place prayer changes things, but this is what I can prove for you. This is what I can show you in black and white that God has chosen to use prayer to change his world. Even though he could have done it without that, he's chosen to put prayer in there. And there are others. God chooses to work through our prayers. So when our struggle to believe that prayer is really going to make any difference keeps us silenced, perhaps reminding ourselves of some realities can help. Imagine this, right? Imagine having an appointment with one of the most powerful people in the world, Elon Musk, the Prime Minister, Hamza Yusuf. Powerful people. Imagine being in the room where it happens. Imagine actually having been invited, given an appointment, you've got a slot, you've got their undivided attention, and there they are, set across the desk from you. They clear everything off their desk. They put their phone face down on the table. They're like, okay, would you just stay silent or would you speak? Would you try and use that opportunity to speak to somebody of earthly importance? There's what we have. God invites us into his presence. He makes time for us. He gives us his ear. He promises he'll hear us. Why would we really not bother showing up? Why would we not bother saying anything while we're there? Why would we ever behave that way when he invites us to call him Father, when he knows what we need, when he actually cares about it, when he tells us to ask him about stuff? It's so irrational, isn't it? So maybe that's a helpful picture. Okay, three reasons why pray. Connection, picking up the phone. Dependency, expressing that we do need more than ourselves. And the fact that prayer actually changes things. Now, how do we respond to all this? Well, duh. <laughs> Let, let's pray, right? This is really not very complicated. Pray for your Father's eyes, knowing you have his ear and heart. Let's be a people who pray in the moment. Prayer should be brief, frequent, intense, Martin Luther says. Let's be a people who pray when others know about it. Let's be a people who pray when others don't. The next time something comes up in conversation after church, get right on it. Joe's been encouraging us, giving us the simple phrase, let's pray now. And then a simple, short prayer to dive in. Pray don't for their eyes. Pray for the eyes of your fathers in heaven, knowing you guys here. Next time something comes up in your heart, you become aware of a need. Don't put it off like, I've got a prayer time booked at 7 a.m. tomorrow. I'll just have to save that one up. You could just talk to God right now. So you could add to Joe's phrase, let me pray now. And you could just stop yourself in your tracks and talk to God. It doesn't need to take half an hour. It's okay. It doesn't need many words. Just pick up the phone. Recognize your dependency. Just don't close your eyes if you're driving. Pro tip. <clears throat> and the next time you don't want to pray, 
and this, this definitely happens to me, but you should, then remember prayer changes things. You've been given a private appointment with God. Why, why would you not bother showing up? Now, rather than responding with a song today, it just seems fitting that we're going to have an opportunity to pray instead. You ready to pray? Yeah. Now, maybe, maybe this is your very first time praying. Well, that'd be cool. God has chosen to let your prayers change things. Particularly, he's chosen to bring you forgiveness through your prayers, if you ask. So why not just pick up the phone? Inside your head, connect with God. No fancy language needed. If you're new to praying or you'd like a hand, we've got a little booklet called Try Praying. It's got 10 basic steps for you to take. Um, I'll get some of them, pop them on the stage here after the talk. We'd love you to come and pick one up. Now, maybe, maybe you have not prayed for a long time. Maybe you've not prayed for a long time. Maybe praying seems pointless. Maybe nothing's going to change anyway. Well, I want to challenge you to also pick up the phone. God, your Father, he says here. Do you notice the phrasing? God, your Father, knows what you need before you ask. You don't have to be eloquent or gushing. You don't even have to say very much at all. If you're feeling angry and grumpy about prayer, just pick up the phone. Maybe this morning you could just usefully spend some time connecting with God. Maybe that's the right emphasis for you today. Just that picture, perhaps, of being ready, being in the room with God, being in conversation with God. Maybe you're ready for a long chat. Maybe you need to find your dependency again. Maybe you need to know and express, wow, I have not got this under control. Maybe this morning God has put something specific on your heart to pray about. Now is a good time for all of that. So what we're going to do is close our eyes. Going to limit our chances of being seen by others, limit the risk of others um, stirring your hearts rather than God. We're going to have some minutes of quiet right now, um, and let's connect with God.